listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 99 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Hopefully we all have some beer from Section D still left over from Saturday, right, Thomas? Uh, yeah, yeah, um... I, I needed all of it for the turnover drinking game and also the ACC area drinking game. Yeah. Oh, God. Lafonso Ellis loved saying the ACC area drinking game. Uh, can we can we say something, first of all, about the whole thing from Saturday? First of all, what beer do you think they were selling at Section D at wherever the hell that was in a part of Florida that I didn't actually know where Niceville was until I looked it up? Um, I, I don't know. And whatever it is, it, I you know I kind of miss it. I hope Maryland fans had a lot of it. They probably needed it. I'll say this much: I didn't actually get the audio of the stream because I was covering from the press box at the time. You know, I was covering. There from, was uh, no audio to listen. to. I was to. covering football. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Do you know what the other funny thing about that was? Is I wasn't watching a second of the football game, and rightfully so. I did not want to subject oh, sh- myself to that. Oh, you shouldn't have. But like, I was I was around. Oh, so I know I, that. I this is what obligated. you were doing. So I had the CBS game tracker up while I was looking at the stream of Maryland, New Mexico on my computer and watching the Iron Bowl on TV. They have on the right side of their game tracker app all of the tweets from beat writers. And all of the Penn State writers were talking about football. When our friend Jeff Ehrman's tweets popped up, it was about basketball. It was the funniest thing. I was just laughing hysterically when I was seeing that because my cause favorite Jeff, was watching the other people in the press box with me watching uh, the game tweet about. Uh, I mean, it was there was a line. It was me, uh, Josh Stern, Pat Donahue, all had the stream up. Yeah, because um, everyone knows what drives. And the they're all just tweeting about basketball. Well, first not of all, no losing one sixty-six to three have, drives yeah, no the one, bus. No mostly. one also expected Maryland to be playing during that game. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, we have to get uh, to all of that. that. Yeah, let, let, we'll get to all of that. But uh, the best part of that YouTube stream wasn't the fact that there was no commentary. Hey, Emerald Coast Classic people, whoever's running it, if you need an announcer, I'm available. Just pay my way down to that part of Florida, and I'll gladly call those games for you. I've got no issue with that. That would have been easy for me to do, whether Maryland's in that tournament next year or not. But part two, if you're doing a live stream on YouTube, you've got a comment section that's rolling. Oh my God, the amount of unintentional comedy in that stream was just wonderful. Oh yeah, I mean, Mark Turgeon himself, mid-game, showed up. And, and uh, so did Nima. Yeah, and, and Nima. It, was, it, was, uh, it got pretty electric over there. Oh, really... we're talking about family game night. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I, I didn't realize the, that was I a mean, thing, on but a, apparently it is. On the scale of fun things that happened Saturday, like... Game night conversations in the YouTube comments of the live stream is like number one. Everyone in the press box freaking out about Alabama basketball playing three on five and winning was the second most incredible thing that, that happened. That was the other thing that was going on. It's like everyone's paying attention to the Iron Bowl. I get that, but Alabama basketball is playing with three guys against Minnesota, and they outscored them. And and the crazy part is, well, everyone at once decided to make the. So so what uh. What do you say after the game? Well, we weren't prepared for the one-two zone. <laughs> I know, right? We we didn't really expect him to come out with that. We hadn't practiced against it. 
The triangle defense. I've heard of a triangle offense, but not a triangle defense. Yeah, no, that was that was. Uh, I think everything I about know. the football game in the press box was more entertaining than the actual football game. The Penn State was, writers are talking about how there's more Penn State fans there than Maryland fans, and the Maryland writers are all talking about basketball. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean that. I don't even know if that's a football game. That was like I would call it a murder if Maryland was already alive. But like they 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 had been dead for a month. I would call it academic, is what it was. But we'll get to that at some point in the future. Uh, We've got five basketball games we need to talk about. uh, Men's games. We'll get to the women in a second. And since we're recording this just after the Syracuse game ended, we should talk about that. And because this is Maryland basketball, there are a lot of very unreasonable takes. My personal favorite was uh, appeared in your mentions or the site's uh, Twitter accounts mentions. Maryland's on the bubble. We're not even in December yet. It is It is November 27th. The selection show is in the middle of March. We are apparently on the bubble after two losses by a combined four points. One that was a bad phenomenal. loss, and the other loss, I and this game against Syracuse, I had no problems with it. I mean, yes, Maryland turned the ball over, but that's Maryland. You expect them to do that. Otherwise, I thought they played pretty well in this game overall. The biggest thing that my other favorite thing that I saw from the comment section on Saturday was, how is Maryland going to match up against a zone defense? I thought otherwise. You know, all things considered, especially after what happened on Friday against a Bonaventure, they did pretty well against the zone defense. A lot of that was Kevin Herter hitting threes from every part of New York State. But otherwise, I thought they had a pretty good game overall. And if that game's at home, Maryland probably wins it. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how good Syracuse is. They look pretty good. I don't um, think they're that bad. They were, they were a very athletic team. They're monsters mm-hmm. on the offensive glass, which is not something I ever expected to see. And they got balanced scoring. Now, they were picked to finish, I think, what was it, 10th in the ACC out of 15 teams? Which, again, that is what it is. Well, 10th in the ACC is also still probably a tournament team. Potentially. I think the way they played tonight, that's pretty much a tournament team. It's not a great tournament team, but it's a tournament team. Yeah, that team, yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what Syracuse does. I mean, I I didn't really know what to expect from them. They were 5-0, but hadn't, you know, hadn't played much of anybody um, anywhere near, you know, the level of Maryland, you know, Big Ten team. So... Uh, they they impressed me. Um, it was one of those games that I think if it was played in College Park, Maryland would have won. Um, if it was played on a neutral site, Maryland probably wins the way they played. Um, you know, turnovers down the stretch that that kind of killed it. Um, and then and then they almost got back into it entirely because of Herter, um, but it, it it wasn't enough. I mean, Maryland played good, good enough to almost win. I don't know. You know, I, I don't the, have any problem. I don't have the any line between with winning that. and losing that game is thin. I mean, you can't get you can't get riled up over a game like that. It's it's November twenty seventh. Maryland fans will. St. Bonaventure, I completely oh, understand. But that game, I thought there was well, a yeah, lot more. Maryland in that than game looked awful. Maryland in that game looked awful. Maryland in this game looked pretty good. We saw quite a bit of Justin Jackson. Uh, Kevin Herter needs to play in front of his family and friends more often. I think Kevin um, Herter needs to just take NBA range threes all the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, that those weren't even like, those were Jimmer, Gilbert Arenas type threes. <laughs> yep. Those were. I mean, there's I'm, so I'm, much to talk about yeah. from these games that it's kind of hard to get them all in. So we'll try to summarize them as we talk about this Syracuse game because it's the most recent. But uh, 
I, I look at this game, other than Kevin Herter shooting the ball really well, there was a comment, I think it was from Jeff Ehrman, when he said Justin Jackson didn't look particularly confident, especially shooting the ball. He did not start the season well in terms of scoring. Even when they played Butler and beat the stuffing out of them, he didn't play particularly well on the offensive end, and that kind of continued for a while. But he started to shoot the ball a little bit better tonight. He can't be as active in the paint as he might have otherwise been because it's his own. But I thought Justin Jackson played pretty well tonight. I don't know if I'd say it was his best game of the season, but I'd say in a game where he needed to play pretty well, he played pretty well. And again, I'm not worried about Justin Jackson. I think he'll figure it out. Don't you? Absolutely. I mean, the, I mean, the very first game of the season, he was 14 and 11, and that's still kind of his best game at this point. Might have been 14 and 12. Um, yeah, he, he looked a little more confident tonight. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't see a ton of two, three zone all game defenses. Um, so it's, you know, that it's kind of an anomaly, but it's also not, you know, so it's, it's something that I think he can definitely feed off of a little bit, but you know, the Purdue is also going to be interesting. Purdue is a real big team. And I so mean, Jackson's we'll get to, gonna have to we'll play get to them the, in a second, won't we? Well, he'll I mean, have to play on the wing a lot more in that game, and so he'll he'll have to shoot more. Well, uh, I think that kind of suits him a little bit, you know, as yeah, a versatile player. Yeah, I think player. it'll. Yeah, I think. I think it would help. Um, he he looked like a reasonable threat tonight in a way he hasn't been. Um, yeah, I mean he, he's he's coming around since starting like 0 for nine. He's right around, I think, 35% from three, which is still lower than he was last year, and it but only brought his acceptable. average to, like... Yeah, and, and it only brought his average to, like, 20-some percent. So, I mean, he's still just getting there. He's still getting back on it, and I don't think it's worth really worrying about. I don't think... I don't even know to what extent the struggles or the lack of confidence is still there. Um, I don't think after a game like this you really can be that not confident because he did play pretty well. I mean, and maybe because he's not the flashy player we saw last year and there are expectations for him, maybe it's like those draft lottery things on his shoulders. I doubt it, but you try to figure out why he starts slow. Some players start slow. You know, you can't be amazing every single game. And more teams are keying in on him now. I think that's something different. Last year, he's an unknown quantity. And even when there's more tape on him, teams still don't quite know how to defend Justin Jackson. Now, there's a lot of tape on him. I think opposing coaches know how to kind of scheme him out of the game, get double teams. They know how to defend him inside. They know how to defend him when he comes outside. So I'm not worried about Justin Jackson yet, especially if we know we haven't seen his best, and Maryland's been pretty okay outside of, say, Bonaventure without him being at his best. What are they like when he is at his best is another open question. That should be a positive, I think. Yeah. I mean, we we saw Herder at his best Against Syracuse, we've see, we saw early in the season Cowan at his best. Yeah, Maryland is is right there with a lot of teams with those guys, and Jackson at his best is probably even better than both of those guys because of what he brings inside and outside and on defense and on offense. So it's, um, and then on top of that, there is non foul trouble Bruno Fernando, which oh if, Jesus Christ, if he, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. He, he would have deflated he the carrier dome if any of those dunks landed. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I think Maryland probably, his impact was big enough in that game. I think Maryland might win if he's on the floor for longer. Oh, I, mean, I don't disagree with that. 
There's something about Bruno Fernando every time he comes into the game that instantly changes it. I don't know if it's just his presence or his ability to want to take people's heads off. Whatever it is, as soon as he comes it's on the, the flat floor, top. it might be the flat. You know what? It's the flat. If it is the flat top, I don't care what it is. It could be the flat top. It could be the fact that when he spoke in English, he had no discernible accent. That was something else that was really fascinating to me. Uh, but then it's just on the floor. He is a machine. Like the way he goes after people on the defensive end is really interesting. And then the way he goes after people on the offensive end, he's an attack dog at all times. And he's still very raw as a player. And he's playing this well right now. I think to me, that's the biggest story from the first eight games of the season is how amazingly fun Bruno Fernando is now and how good he's going to be when his game gets refined. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about for this apparently bubble team. Um, <laughs> I, I know, yeah, I know. I can't believe someone said that already. They'll be just fine. They'll be just fine. Well, let's, let's I don't know how over. I don't know how fine like fine is, but fine is be, a tournament team. Yeah, they, fine they is a tournament be. team. Maybe they're well, I mean, on the wrong side of closer to the bubble than maybe they were last year. But if they're in the tournament, I don't think anyone's really complaining. No, I mean, because this is one of those years where, you know, there wasn't an obvious ceiling or floor for the team. And I don't I mean, think there is this an is obvious stuff, ceiling or floor either. You know, here's the thing. It's like th- three weeks ago, we were, you know, this is the stuff we were talking about. And w- they've played eight games now. And, you know, conference play starts this weekend and then goes away and then comes back. Um, so there is a lot of time to figure out where this team kind of sits. And I I think it's easy to forget that, you know, teams take time to fully form, especially teams like this that are pretty young and still trying to figure out who's the guy without, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mello Trimble's not there anymore. And, you know, they're still trying to find whatever the identity is if they if they need to have an identity, if they need to run through a certain guy, it was Cowan early. Uh, it's been, it was Fernando once. It was nobody against St. Bonaventure. And it was Herder against Syracuse. So we'll see. We'll see. There's a, there's, it's just so interesting when you look at how these eight games have unfolded and then the reaction to the eight games as they have unfolded. It's just fascinating. And for Maryland, I don't think we've seen this team anywhere near fully formed. And you remember, last couple of years, Maryland just cruised through the beginning part of the season and then hit speed bumps towards the end. I'd honestly rather them hit their speed bumps now and then get fully formed as we go later in the year. It would be a reversal, which means the beginning of the season isn't quite as much fun. But then as the season goes on, it gets more fun, and Maryland becomes fully formed. That's been the problem with them. They start out, and they play their best basketball of the season in December and then as it gets into February and March it tails off I'd much rather that be reversed yeah I mean obviously there's no guarantee that it does get reversed um and I mean they have been losing Big Ten ACC challenge games they haven't They're won since, since they joined the AC uh, the Big Ten from the ACC which, which my my favorite stat also is that someone you know people are tossing this that their own four since joining the Big Ten and one in six under Turgeon at like, does it matter? I don't know. Like, is that a stat you hold against somebody? 
one like, and well, six in this made-up competition that happens in November every year after Thanksgiving. I mean, plus, plus. Okay, so since they got to the Big Ten, they they've played Virginia, who was like a top ten team that year. Top they 10. played. They played UNC, who won the uh, didn't didn't win the national title, but was like I'm pretty oh, sure it was the number one or two overall seed. Winning the national title. Yes, and then uh, Pitt. I don't know what the hell happened there, and then. Syracuse was a two-point game in the Carrier Dome. So, like, only one of those four losses is, like, bad. I don't remember um, who they played in the first year that Turgeon got to Maryland. The the win was against, well, who was it, Northwestern? That's who their win was against. And I don't remember. And then the other one was at Ohio State, when Ohio State under Thad Mata was pretty dang good, too, in 13-14. So, again, why, why is that even a stat that matters Maryland women's basketball is at Virginia for some reason. Well, that's fun. But have you uh, noticed who Maryland isn't playing in the ACC Big Ten Challenge? Starts with D, ends with uh, Ook. Um, ah. And that's, I, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out anything beyond that. Well, a certain coach who coaches a certain team is a certain level of uh, emotionally scarred from the fact that his beloved conference lost a founding member. Or something like that. I don't know. Greener pastures. Also, Maryland, Maryland women absolutely should have played Duke this year. There's no good reason they shouldn't be. Uh, ask, but, ask, ask that certain coach. Doesn't matter what sport it's in. I don't know. Duke's Maryland got, Lexi, play Duke in Duke's got Lexi Brown who made two Final Fours with Maryland. And it's her redshirt senior year now. And I don't know. We'll get to the women's team in a second. We've been all over the place because with... Just Thomas and I talking, it's a little bit more freestyling and freeforming. But, okay, let's settle this all down and distill everything that we've seen for men's basketball into the essence of now we're going to talk about games against uh, Purdue at home and then at Illinois. I have no idea what to expect because conference play is preposterously early, as we know. And Purdue, I don't know what the heck to expect from them either because they had two games in it, the Battle of Atlantis, and then they lost, and then they beat up Arizona who was the number two team in the country and is now unranked because they lost all three games at Atlantis. I have no idea what to expect from Purdue. I don't really know what to expect against Maryland, other than I could say outside of St. Bonaventure, they played pretty good basketball most of the way, and they're at Xfinity Center, which is the great equalizer. So I guess Maryland should win this game, and Illinois fired their coach and hasn't played anybody of note yet. So these games are just totally ones you can't really... I wouldn't say understand that's not the right word but these games you really can't predict because you just don't know enough about either team yet to say definitively all right maryland matches up with purdue really well here and not here because purdue did x y and z or against illinois on the road because of that's that's what it is it's just so odd right now because of jim delaney we've got conference play now and it makes no sense but in spite of my run-on sentence what do you want to see for maryland in these two games because if they can win both of them it gets their season really on track, and suddenly you can get on a roll through the last part of out-of-conference play where they really don't play anybody. Well, Purdue in particular, that's that's a game that I see Purdue as pretty much on Maryland's level, even though Purdue was ranked pretty recently and then beat Arizona, but has also lost a couple games. So, I mean, Purdue's big, and Maryland is bigger than it has been. Um, Still had trouble and, defending inside on the offensive glass tonight. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they handle Purdue, who has Isaac Haas and it still has 
Um, I believe I still have Vince Edwards. I don't know. He's only been in college for 80 years. Um, and then they got they, they just got a lot of bigs. And if I remember correctly, rebounded well against Maryland last year. Um, Tchaikovsky had a good game but was in foul trouble is my recollection of that. But Maryland um, was in that game the whole way and yeah. lost by like two. With yeah, I think they lost totally by one inside. in the final seconds because a freshman point guard made two free throws looking right at the wall. I mean, that's you kind of have to Courage. take that. Yeah, you kind of have to if, just if accept Maryland that. Maryland last year with no bigs did what they did against Purdue with Caleb Swanigan, you figure Maryland with more bigs now, and I, I think they've got a chance to win this game, and if they're on their level which I think the early part of the season may have played that out. Maryland should be beating teams on its level at Xfinity Center. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it's a game that's going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a very important litmus test to see where this team is. And it's a kind of litmus test that Maryland, because of the way it schedules out of conference, doesn't usually get at this time of year, but because of the weird quirk of the schedule is getting this year. Yeah, and it makes the early season schedule look like more formidable, you know, because here you go, you have... You have the Emerald Coast Classic against, it ended up being two mid-majors. Um, you know, whoops. The whole the whole point, I think, was to play TCU, and then you, that didn't work. Then you go at at Syracuse, and then you play two Big Ten games. And, like, that's that's a pretty hectic schedule because, I mean, those, those are five reasonably difficult games all in. Nine like, days. Nine, yeah, nine days. Ten days, something like that. And, uh, yeah, it'll be... It'll be a test, and then they decide to give themselves a break after that, which is questionable, maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't see Catholic putting up the same fight as some of these other teams, but... Um, I don't know, man. They're pretty good in whatever conference they're in, which I know now because I called D3 basketball with a team from their conference, and I totally forgot what it is now. Oops. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Catholic. Uh, I should know the answer to that question of what conference you're in, but I totally forgot. Whoops. It happens when all these things are going through your brain at once. Uh, but I, I just think these will be very intriguing games because of when they are. And if Maryland wins both of them, I mean, there are some angry – there are angry Maryland fans all the time when you deal with basketball. Some of it is realistic. Some of it is not realistic. Uh, but now you've got this team. If they win these two games, suddenly the whole tenor around this program changes. And the talks we're having about this team changes pretty considerably if you go 2-0 and and then you could basically run the table through the rest of these non-conference nobodies up until the new year. Yeah, and then if they go one and one, then there's a lot of just I don't know, I don't know. And if they're zero and two, the sky's falling. Well, and if they're zero and two, the sky's falling because suddenly you're, I mean, you're zero and two in Big Ten play. I don't think that. And then happens. you enter. I don't think so. I. They they are a level ahead of Illinois at this point, um, but. They were also a level ahead of St. Bonaventure. And I mean, that's one of those games, but I think when we talk about the St. Bonaventure game, you have to talk about New Mexico right afterward. And Maryland came out so angry. And they just, I mean, yeah, they only won by 15, but they were winning at one point, what was it, like 30 to 9 or something? It was 27 to 3. They were totally destroyed. They were beating New Mexico by a football score if Maryland and New Mexico ever played in football, which, God forbid, that ever happens. you know, they for came the, out for so the whole motivated. first half. For the whole first half of Maryland Penn State, I was just keeping track of. So if you if you go through the aggregate, Maryland basketball is currently up twenty four 
Maryland football is trailing by 21. So Maryland's up three. Yep. Uh, that didn't last because the basketball score kind of went down a little bit. And then, uh, I don't, I don't know, football kind of happened. We'll get um, to that in a second. I've been saying that a lot then, tonight. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. But, but I think that was the response I mean, to that came out, Bonaventure yeah. game. And clearly they and didn't I, replicate I it don't against know Syracuse. If, and I don't know if they start any game the same way if they're not coming off a loss like that. So I'm curious to see how they come out against Purdue for sure. I think because it'll be at Xfinity Center, it, they come out motivated. They it, Even if they lose, they always play better there. And then when Bruno Fernando comes in, I think Bruno Fernando plus Xfinity Center equals craziness. I mean, we haven't seen Xfinity Center yet in a properly like important game, so it'll be interesting to see the crowd. But Bruno Fernando in a big Big Ten game coming in and lighting that place up is something that we haven't seen yet, and I'm really excited to see. Because if he goes and does one of those dunks like he tried tonight against Syracuse and he hits it and Xfinity Center's full, uh, the place is going to explode. The Xfinity yeah. Center's been loud for a lot yeah. of things. The but I don't Xfinity know if will explode. If, if and like for some that. unknown reason, Bentleys will explode. And I, I don't know why even. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Possibly. So that why, was a very I don't know why Bentley's is suddenly the most flammable of those bars, but whatever. I'm, I'm not surprised by that because we've all been in there. We've all seen what's in there. <laughs> anyway, I mean, no, they're, they're, okay, let's not get on to that. That was a very scattering conversation on basketball, but that's basically what the last five games of basketball was. A lot of scatterbrain nonsense going on with this team, but I don't think it really changes anything about the team right now. They're still pretty much where I expected them to be. Young team gets some losses. St. Bonaventure was inexplicable, but Syracuse is understandable, and they played well enough to win most nights. So I don't think, again, there's much to be that angry about. And if they win their next two games in conference play, then everything's sort of back to normal, and then they can finally hit their stride again before the meat of conference play begins. There's nothing really to freak out about right now. Maryland is about where I expected them to be. Let's say if, they lose, if they're if 6-2 and two and they lose to TCU instead of St. Bonaventure, the discussion we're having is a tiny bit different. That's also, we'll one say. other thing is, like, the loss to St. Bonaventure is not going to look as bad as it should going forward because when they get Jalen Adams back, I mean, they're a contender in the A-10. They might, you know, hang the around. A-10 the A-10 doesn't get at-large tournament. teams, but they're about as close to it an gets at-large a team in the A-10 that you could possibly get. I mean, they get A-10 one, always maybe. gets a few. A-10's usually well, yeah, I mean, a the A-10's a good league. league. you got Rhode Island. You've VCU. Got some, yeah, v, well, no, maybe not VCU, but they're good enough teams in the A-10 where you shouldn't worry about that loss too much. It's not an inexplicable like Minnesota when Maryland was in the top 10 loss. Not that kind of loss. Yeah. So, no, we... I mean, it. St. Bonaventure without its leading scorer is not a team Maryland should be losing to. Um, but, like, St. Bonaventure will have a good season, and losing to them will look a lot more understandable even if it wasn't at the time, because they didn't have Jalen Adams. True. So shall we switch gears to women's basketball? I think we should. Talk about another uh, another decent basketball team that's having its start to its season. Uh, they got blown out by UConn. No surprise there. Happens. And I think everybody's going to get blown out by Happens UConn. Happens to the best of us. Oh, that team is a death star. It's, it's un- unreal. Uh, I know, I know. I, I, I wanted to watch that game, but was caught up with other things, and I'm kind of glad I didn't just as a Maryland fan, but maybe to watch that UConn team who's going to destroy every single thing in its path this year probably would have been good to watch regardless. But they also had a game against Miami recently. I think they only won by seven or eight, if I'm correct. One by eight. 
one by eight in Miami. So, um, you could explain what this game means for their season because I wouldn't have the context. I don't really know how good Miami is. Uh, they were a Sweet 16 team last year, I think, but uh, didn't quite. They they lost in production themselves. Um, but but picking up a win on the road like this against a team that's definitely at least good is is a positive because you know Maryland is always going to be talented enough to you know destroy the Kennesaw states of the world they beat the that Howards. team by 55 yeah and they beat Howard by 62 i mean they'll they'll do all that um but picking up the win against Miami um i i guess i expected that but it is it is good to see it'll be also good to see if they can do the same uh, against Virginia uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge there. So um, it's been a pretty tough non-conference for them. They hung with South Carolina at the end, which was impressive. Uh, they never hung with UConn. I don't think a lot of people will. There's no overall, shame in losing the games that a, they lost. Yeah. Overall, I haven't learned a ton about this team, and I don't know how much we can learn about its ceiling without – uh, Eliana Kristanaki is going to be one of the better players when there's she's certain... eligible in December. How long is that going to be? Is there a defined date for that? You've always said December. Uh, at the end of the semester, so like the 20th-ish, 19th, oh, okay. 20th. So I don't remember what their next play, game is after that. She'll be back for conference play because they don't have any early conference games. Um, yeah, because that's where it's held when it should be held. Before. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jim Delaney. Anyway, uh, so I, I guess we have to talk about football now. We'll get to some other sports at the end of the show. Um, I, I we know made it half be, an hour. We, it's only at the half hour mark it took us to talk about football. And this is usually the week where we recap the season, but I don't think there's really much to recap since we kind of did it on the last show, and not much has changed since then. Although I think it's interesting, uh, having watched DJ Durkin's press conference where he basically said his team didn't show up, now, since I didn't watch a second of this game, I can't say that they quit because I didn't see it, and therefore to throw around an accusation like that from somebody who didn't watch the game is ridiculous. But it's pretty clear that when you're giving up a billion points to Penn State's backups, and that's not Jim, James Franklin running the score. That's uh, Maryland not having a day at the office or just not trying. So I'm glad DJ Dirk had said that because it was true, and everybody who actually did have the stomach to watch that noticed and I think it's important for him to admit that. And he said, I'm paraphrasing here, I've coached here now for two years, but that's the first time I thought my team didn't put forth the required effort. Because even when they got blown out by all these good teams that they've played, they put forth some effort. And that didn't happen apparently on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I don't know what you can even take from that. It was just Saturday was bad. All right, cool. Uh, you would you would like to see the season end on like somewhat of a note where you can take anything from. I think the only one is DJ Moore, got to 80 catches, got over a thousand yards. Um, that was his goodbye present to the two Maryland fans that were actually there. Yeah, um, we think he's he's most likely gone. Is my guess. I, um, I don't think he has anything left to prove. It's the same thing with Stephon Diggs because yeah. Diggs did so much with so little. By the time he got to after his junior season, no one could begrudge him for leaving because of what he did with no quarterback play. 
And now you have DJ Moore, who's essentially done the same thing with even more craziness and minus some of the special team stuff. And he has a chance to go to the NFL, although he is not the same player as Diggs. And what's there left for him to prove other than maybe going to a bowl game and winning a bowl game? There's not much else for him to prove at Maryland that NFL scouts haven't already seen. Yeah, I mean, I I expect him to leave, and I I'm not as 100% sure on uh, Damian Prince, but I think he probably goes. And then after that, J.C. Jackson might. Um, but I think Ty Johnson, Darnell Savage, and even Jesse Annabonum. Uh, Is Jesse Annabonum eligible for a, a red shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah, he fractured his ankle in the very first game. Well, I didn't know what the red that's shirt a medical rules were, so. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a medical red shirt. Okay. Um, he actually he he wasn't even part of senior day, which was ah, interesting. so that would probably tell you that he is thinking about medically red shirting, perhaps. Yeah, my to me the question was if he would want to medically red shirt and come back and play in the, play in college or just uh, take the rehab and try and go through the draft process. Um, it may, it would make more sense to me. Um, and I guess that seems to be, I mean, of course, I don't, I don't know this for sure yet, but it seems like, um, his, his thought process is to work his way back to another year at Maryland, try and put up numbers and impress people on the field, which would be very good because Maryland will need it. Uh, so let's talk about the season on the whole, uh, and go through it more holistically. And then we could talk about who's returning, who's not returning, etc. We'll get into that discussion a little bit more in depth. Am I right in saying that? If they don't have the angry Maryland quarterback hating God spiting them again, they're at a they're in a bowl game. I don't in think a bowl game for sure. That, uh, well, yeah, probably. As I said, like I was having, I was talking with a friend of mine who goes to went to USF, and we were talking during the UCF game uh, when those two were playing on Black Friday, and I kept saying Maryland beats UCF if they don't have another quarterback injury. Maybe I'm being a little bit generous, but before Kasim Hill got hurt, it was three nothing Maryland, and then they got deflated. So yeah, I mean that game was played pretty evenly, like yardage wise, and the team seemed relatively evenly matched. And then Hill got hurt, and UCF just killed him from there. I don't know, but so like that would be five, and then Rutgers with a real quarterback, they beat Rutgers. Yeah, and that's that's up to six. Maybe Northwestern, maybe Michigan State. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I with some a real combination of those. If I, you just look at the way the games panned out, I mean. I think the the actual wins are one thing. Uh, it's the because you you see it you see you saw it with Pitt against Miami. Like here's a team that's four and seven hosting a team that's got something to play for and going out and beating them. But then you knew Maryland wouldn't do the same exact thing, and that Maryland had no chance of even hanging with them. One of the first two quarterbacks you wouldn't have that like certainty about it. I think um, that it was just the burden of everything that happened in this entire season collapsed in on itself in that game against Penn state. Like the, the, the burden of all of the quarterback stuff, the burden of just going through this brutal schedule. And I believe this is just me running through my head. They're the only team in the nation to play the only two remaining unbeaten teams on their schedule. If I'm correct, that that's the only team in college football that played both Wisconsin and UCF, which is crazy. So 
again, they're in the hardest division in all of college football. They played two teams that were unbeaten that weren't in their division, and they also played Northwestern, who has the longest winning streak in the history of that program. What the hell else can you expect from them when the angry Maryland quarterback-hating God decided to spite them again? There are legitimate concerns. The defense was really, really bad towards the end of the season, but I still think this ends up going down in the history books as basically a mulligan. Yeah, um, I'm mostly with you. It'll be interesting to see what they do with, you know, some of the personnel on defense. Um, you know, we've we've gotten fire Andy Boo mentions and comments for like months now. Um, I doubt they actually do it, but it would be. I think a reasonable person can arrive at the conclusion that maybe you would want someone else in that spot. Um, offense, no. Walt Bell's going to stay. Um, I can see Andy Boo getting then, fired, perhaps. But with the fact of the matter is that there's just so much chaos in the athletic department. And I know it's not necessarily their decision exclusively. It's Durkin's decision, too. I think considering everything that's gone on, I don't think we're going to see any changes to the coaching staff unless they're enforced because someone leaves to go get another job or someone retires or leaves for personal yeah, reasons I'm, or something I'm like generally that. With you. I'm generally with you there as well. Um, I mean, there's no doubt yeah. that the defense was really bad, but when you put on them extenuating circumstances such as Maryland played five quarterbacks, well, I can't the one, really... The one thing that's... I'm not sure how much these are like, these should be independent of each other, but Maryland had, I looked this up to Maryland had 127th best third down offense and the 126th best third down defense. They're not independent of each other. They're entirely related. When your team has a bad offense and the defense is out there getting gassed all the time, they can't make plays on the money downs. So that's I, I saw that with the professional team I like, and it's happening with the college team that I root for and follow as well. And I think they're entirely related. And that's something that has to be fixed. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And the defense cannot be this bad next season. But as I said before, if Maryland has one of its top two quarterbacks, I don't think we're having this discussion. Uh, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll... I don't know I think to what extent Maryland hangs Maryland with football some of the is teams not that fair. Mm-hmm. I think all of the fire Durkin stuff is not fair. Well, fire and, Durkin is no. And I mean, all the everyone, stuff about the state of the program is also not fair because no team paying deals with the quarterback that, stuff. Well, and it was really just like kind of a setback. It's It was clear from the way they played against Texas that like Maryland can do some stuff. And then... Max Bortenschlager was neither the guy. He wasn't supposed to be the guy for this year. He's not supposed to be the guy of the future. He's, he's just there. He's the, the next option in case two guys get hurt. Again, which and I wouldn't put it past it to two happen guys got hurt. again. So, yeah. I feel bad for him because there's only so much he can do. And he just did not have the help he needed. I mean, he had offensive personnel, but, again, he's not – Tyrell Pigram or Kasim Hill, and they were difference makers. Kasim Hill, even in the few games he played, was a difference maker. You could see it. Tyrell Pigram, in the three quarters he played, was a difference maker. And Max Bortenschlager, though he's okay, not the worst college quarterback you've ever seen, 
it was not is not a difference maker. And the way Maryland was going to win games this year was having a difference maker at the quarterback position, and they didn't have it. And that's that's injuries, and you can't do anything about that. And that's where I think a lot of this season comes down to. There are issues with the defense, I'll grant you, and some of them are not acceptable going forward, especially for a coach with the defensive background as DJ Durkin. But I again, I think a lot of it's chalked up to horrible injury luck and the worst schedule in college football. And they've managed to win four games out of that. And I, I don't think there's much shame in it. If they have another quarterback, maybe they win another game or two and they're in a bowl game and we're having a different discussion. And the one thing I can say for certainty, though, is if we're having this discussion next year, then the stuff about DJ Durkin and the state of the program is legitimate. But this year, it's not. And I can understand it's so frustrating the last, I don't know, six or seven years of Maryland football, watching everything that could go wrong basically go wrong. But this one's not really on Durkin. I would say it's about 25% on Durkin and 75% on the angry Maryland quarterback hating God. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know how much you can put of anything on Dirk. I mean, they, I still think last year's team goes like three and nine against the schedule. That's how bad it was. Um, and so you go three and nine to four and eight. So that's a, that's a one win improvement with actually losing two quarterbacks for the season. You know, I mean, to say nothing really to Max Bordenslager, I mean, yeah, that he beat two other five and seven teams, but Older Maryland quarterback issues of the past, they didn't win games. They won a couple of games this year. And to say nothing of Rutgers, they were in it until the very end, and they could have easily beaten Northwestern, too, on another day. So, and maybe Michigan State, too. I mean, that game was a lot closer than it had any right to being, probably because of the weather. But uh, let's go into now uh, the players that could be leaving, the ones that are going to be coming back, those who could be going to the NFL. Uh, we have both assumed DJ Moore is going to leave. I'd be stunned if he doesn't. Uh, you say Damian Prince, you think he might leave? What, what say you about that? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's an NFL prospect, too. I've seen him get some, like, second, third-round projections. I saw J.C. Jackson get one, too. I'm not sure if I'd buy that to the same extent. I don't think he had a particularly um, amazing year, to be honest. It's it's tough to, you know, it's tough to really say. Because he didn't, I mean corners don't usually rack up stats unless it's interceptions and I think he had like one or two um but teams could just run the ball all over Maryland and they did uh but I I would still probably my best guess would be that he stays and Darnell Savage does too and if Ty Johnson had another year like his sophomore year he's probably gone but he didn't um partly because Largely, really, because of the quarterbacks and partly because of the schedule. I'm not sure how much of it was even um, his own doing. That's really but, it. I can't think of anybody else that yeah. could go to the NFL draft and might. And if they get back Ty Johnson, you have an ungodly group of running backs that are all coming oh, yeah. back next year. With Anthony McFarlane as a redshirt mm -hmm. freshman. And true sophomore Javon Leake, who was really exciting at times this year. Um, didn't get a lot of carries because Maryland had Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison and Jake Funk turned into somebody. So um, you've got five running backs. Well, I would assume McFarland probably plays at wide receiver because Maryland just does not have any depth at wide receiver projected in the next season. Mm -hmm. And even if they lose Damian Prince, that offensive line group returns pretty much everybody else. 
And that's a very Derwin solid Greg group next might. year. Derwin Gray is a junior who could leave, but I don't think he does either. Um, that, that's a pretty solid group of offensive linemen that they return. And they have yeah. a couple of guys who are, uh, you know, they redshirt offensive linemen who were very, very big recruits who are going to probably play some roles next season. So Yeah, Marcus Miner we saw at the end of this year. Um, Jordan McNair was a four-star guy. I don't think we saw him. Uh, we saw a little bit of Johnny Jordan, who's going to be the backup center uh, for Brandon Moore's last season next year. I don't think Moore leaves. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that group should be good. It's it's kind of tough to say whether they were, like, really good or not that good this year. I think you just they were don't know. Medi- I think they were mediocre, but what, you know, have quarterback have the talent to be very good. I mean, Bortenschlager held the ball a long time, a lot of the time. A lot of it's quarterback so, related. Yeah. Um, and then on defense. So, so we'll just have to see that. Then, if you say Jesse Annie Bonham returns, that gives a huge boost to a defensive line that couldn't rush the passer. But a lot of guys up front, I mean, Jermaine Carter's gone. Guys like Chandler Burkett are gone. But if J.C. Jackson returns and Darnell Savage returns, and that's a couple more ifs than you'd like, but if they both return and we expect that they could, that's a very interesting secondary that they return next year. And it's really just the front seven that goes through a bit of transition, or front six in Maryland's case. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly interested to see what happens with some of the linebackers because, like, their two linebackers this year were Cockrell when, when like, not in the doghouse and Carter. Um, so I guess next year would be Isaiah Davis and some combination of, like, a bunch of underclassmen currently um and then the front four so. if jesse annie bonham returns there's also another group of like i can't think of who else like, well there's adam mcclain yeah austin fontaine, a little bit austin fontaine should start day one that's a good he's point. that good he's that good um and then that other spot i don't know could be mb tanyi got a lot of run this year could be kieran howard got some there, there are a few guys that could could make some noise that should be a pretty wide open position there's also uh, a kid named Diaby Anoma who if he decides he wants to play football at Maryland would just like slide right into that other defensive end spot hmm perhaps but I here's my thought on November 27th 2017 about Maryland football in 2018 with the quarterbacks returning and potentially all the running backs returning and a large majority of the offensive line returning issues on some areas on defense and wide receiver aside, their schedule is nowhere near as brutal as it was Bowling Green, who they play on the road when I think two and 10 this year, Temple barely went six and six. Your crossover games are home against Minnesota, who you beat home against Illinois, who is the worst team in the big 10 and at Iowa. That's nowhere near at Minnesota home against Northwestern and at Wisconsin. And then you also play Indiana, who you beat, Rutgers, who you should have beaten, and Texas, who knows what they'll be next year. And you never know what to expect with Iowa in Iowa City, but Purdue went there and won. And you think bowl game next year should be the absolute minimum. There's no reason why this team can't get to six next year in some capacity, barring catastrophic injury, which Maryland always seems to have happen with them. But barring that, if they stay largely healthy, there's no reason to think that they can't make at least a semi-decent bowl game and get to six wins at a bare minimum. All right, setting bare minimums on November 27th. Awesome. Well, I don't think that's unreasonable based no, on their schedule and the players that they're returning. It's definitely reasonable. 
Um, we'll I normally have... don't like doing that because I sound yeah. like the Maryland fans that I dislike. But to be honest, I don't think there's any reason for that not to occur next season. None yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, I, mean, I think if you're if you're mapping out, you know, what your plan would be, I think this year the plan was to probably make another bowl, and next year the plan was to maybe win eight. Um, and obviously, eight's not but, unreasonable next year. Well, and I think that you know the setbacks this year kind of change that. Maybe the goal next year should be six or seven, get back in the right direction. But um, do you really think the setbacks change it all that much? I mean, perhaps they do, but if they're all so quarterback enforced, which, as I said, I think a lot of it, most of it, you could argue all of it was, then next year with real quarterbacks, maybe they don't beat Ohio State or Michigan, but they could at least start winning some of these games that they had been losing, and with I mean, their next schedule year, being like, a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, next year I think if whoever the quarterback is, is still going to be not too far removed from like just rehabbing their injury. Um, and so, and, and neither guy like has, a a t- has the experience it. they were supposed to have. Bortenschlager is going to have, you know, the most returning experience because he had to play so much of this year, but he's not the most talented guy. So they're going to be basically, you know, at least on that front, you know, not starting over, but they, they didn't have the progress you would want. Well, because injuries. Um, so it might, it might, yeah, because of injuries. So it might, they won't be where you would expect them to be because they didn't have a full season. This is obviously true, but as DJ Durkin and Walt Bell will probably say, from what you did see of them, I mean, for Tyrell Pigram it was almost three quarters, and for Kasim Hill it was about five quarters. That's a lot to build off of, and that's a lot of tape that you could show them and say, you guys can do this. So. There's no reason to feel not confident. Now, rehabbing is going to be tough, but, I mean, it takes a long time to return fully healthy from an ACL and look as good as you have done. But to be honest, I mean, the fact is they're going to have about a year to rehab it before that Texas game, which I think is on September the 2nd. It could be the 3rd. Who the hell knows what that day is. But, again, with those quarterbacks and what Maryland has at running back next year, whether or not Ty Johnson returns, but we expect him to, that's a very exciting potential team you've got next year. And I don't want people to boil the golden goose before they know what they have in it. Because two consecutive top 25 recruiting classes and a win at Texas, no matter how good or bad Texas is, is something that you can't really get rid of right now or throw to the side because Maryland can't beat any good team because they have, you know, no quarterback. Agreed. We'll get to how it goes with recruiting. I don't think there's much left to do for Maryland in recruiting for the 2018 class. I think the early signing period is coming in the month of December at some point, I believe, if I'm right, Thomas. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk I, about I what would players... expect most of the class to sign at this point. Yeah. And but... we'll talk about what players decide to leave for the NFL. I don't know what the deadline is for that, but I've already started to see one or two players say they're declaring for the NFL draft. So I don't think it'll be that long before we see some moves. And uh, with some of Maryland's most likely players that are leaving, I don't think that they will take much of a decent time to make that decision. So we'll have a pretty good idea of what this team shapes up at in 2018 pretty early on, which allows us to analyze it very quickly. I don't want people getting down on this program because of bad luck. And I understand that if Maryland football didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. So, yeah, it's frustrating. But that win over Texas, you can't take that away. And you can't take away the progress that it looked like 
uh, Tyrell Pigrin and Kasim Hill have made. So there is reasons to be excited for next season. And I will only say you have to give this team a third chance because I expected DJ Jerkin was going to take one or two years to build it up. And then in the third year, you're going to start seeing results. Well, next year is the third year. And if they start seeing results, then the progress and the process is working the way it should. If you don't see results, then you have the right to start getting angry and start getting nervous. But right now, don't act like fans from Tennessee, please. This is Maryland football, and no program in all of sports, basically, has as bad a luck as Maryland football has. That's all I'm going to say. So let's finish up this very long, informal Thomas and I chatting back and forth show, talking about a few other things that happened. Uh, field hockey lost to UConn in a national title game, which was unfortunate. Yep. Yep. Uh, that would have been a fun thing to get, but I mean, that, that UConn team's a powerhouse. And so sounds like another really, sport we're talking about. UConn is a powerhouse in precisely two sports. And those it's are the not two one sports. Of the, like, yeah. And it's not one of, yeah. Both sports were playing Maryland at the same time that day. It was weird. And it was sad. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really unfortunate. Hey, but Maryland beat UConn the last time they played a men's basketball. All right, that's, that's something to build off. Yeah. Anyway, and the other thing that happened, which was Sunday, to cap off a really ugly week of Maryland sports, was the women's volleyball team, who has made so much progress, as we have covered so well on this website, uh, the first team out of the NCAA tournament, which just sucks, because they made so much progress, and to be that first team left out has to be the most awful feeling, even for somebody like... Steve Aaron, who is one of the most eminently positive people you will ever meet in your entire life. And for somebody who took that program from zero to beating some of the best programs in college volleyball and to be the first team left out sucks. Yeah. Um, if you if you look at some of the teams they selected, you can kind of get it and then you kind of don't. I mean, Maryland went 18 and 14, you know, and that's... And they're playing in the Big Ten, which is, yeah, I, I mean, believe, the most brutal conference the, for college volleyball. Yeah, well, what was interesting was that the committee seemed to maybe overvalue the SEC and undervalue the Big Ten a little bit, um, just looking at the, the some of the seeds they gave some other teams. Um, and that they got LSU in the tournament on, right on the bubble ahead of Maryland and Iowa, um, who were the first two teams out. So, you know, it, it's one of those those random little things that, you know, when you're on the bubble, it's random little things that keep you in or out. So tying into a theme um, from the start of this show. Yeah, and and next year, um, Maryland returns basically that whole group plus another super blue chip freshman who's gonna be a stud right away. Um I don't I wouldn't expect they'll be too worried about the bubble at this time next year. Steve Aaron is such a positive guy. I don't think he's worried about the bubble much right now, although it probably stings a little bit. But, yeah, you could see this team being even better next year. I mean, again, to think about where this program was to where it is now is pretty amazing, and where it is potentially about to go has to make you really excited. Because, I mean, this year, I can't remember, but they beat some really good teams along the way. They USC, lost who got USC get for 10 overall seed and Maryland swept so so that's some that's fun I know Did that, wasn't that, enough. That, was that not the worst weekend of Maryland sports you ever saw uh there was 
there was a different one that was even worse somehow. Like, I'm trying to think of it because I normally I'd remember it because well a couple week a couple weekends ago Maryland like had this jam packed weekend where it was playing like in every single sport and every team lost. Yeah, but I mean and for this there were one, no wins. let's think think about this. You lose to St. Bonaventure in men's basketball, lose sixty six to three at home against Penn State, and losing sixty six to three against a lot of teams is bad. But to Penn State, it just feels icky. You know, the women's volleyball team gets left out of the NCAA tournament, and then on Monday, Maryland in the ACC Big Ten Challenge just loses a squeaker to Syracuse, and you're just like, ugh. And then for me, it got even worse because the other teams I like didn't do much better, so it was just a really depressing weekend all around, and it didn't get much better uh, with Maryland losing to Syracuse, I have to admit, but boy, but you know what? I think maybe we're too defeatist. Maryland fans are always a bit defeatist, but then again, think of this, my fellow friends and fellow Terrapins. We could be Tennessee, and it could be a whole heck of a lot worse when they have football and nothing else. They might be good at women's basketball, but nobody who was riding on that rock or calling in to Clay Travis cares much about women's basketball. Think it could always be worse, my friends, and that will make you hopefully feel a little bit better. At least it makes me feel a little bit better. Thomas, uh, the next show that we're going to do, whenever we do it, is the 100th show that I have hosted of the Testudo Times podcast. Exciting times. Exciting times. I can't believe, A, I was allowed to host 100 shows of this podcast through now four different main site editors. And two, I still am unemployed, so I'm still hosting the show because I have nothing else to do. But that's on me. That's not on anybody else who has listened. So I could promise you that we will talk about Purdue and Illinois and other basketball games next week. Uh, when we do that 100 show, and I can promise you that there will be some fun surprises along the way in that show, too. We've got some good things in the hopper for that, and hopefully you will listen whenever that show comes out. Hopefully you enjoyed this long marathon of just me and Thomas talking, and it's sounding like if Thomas and I were basically in Bentleys catching up as opposed to an actual podcast, but so much stuff happened. I mean, Mark Turgeon and Nima talking about family game night while an internet stream with no commentary in a Niceville, Florida basketball tournament was going on. That's kind of why this happened. But at least you'll always remember yep. you watched that game with no commentary and Mark Turgeon and Nima were talking about family game night. And Alabama was playing a 1-2 zone. And they were playing a triangle defense. Mm-hmm. And the Penn State writers were all talking about football and all the Penn State fans there and the Maryland writers couldn't care less. That's exactly how it went down. It was one of the most bizarre Saturday afternoons that I have ever seen. But it was a fun one, even in a morbid way. And now we leave you until the 100th episode of the Tissue Time podcast coming soon. Until then, go Terps.